You're listening to The Powerful Creator Show with your host, Cheryl Sosnowski. If you can conceive it and believe it, you can achieve it. And now, here's your host, Cheryl Sosnowski. Well, hello and greetings, Dr. Marissa. Thank you so much. Hello. Hello. I'm so excited to have you here on the Powerful Creator Show. And I love to start my conversations with my guests by asking what it means to you to be a powerful creator. Uh, Being a powerful creator means realizing not just thinking outside the box, but realizing that there is no box. I'm a big fan of innovative thinkers. Some people say, oh, don't reinvent the wheel. Well, you might not need to reinvent the wheel, but do something different, you know, not, not following the crowd. That, that's, that's my motto. <laughs> not following the crowd. I love that. It's funny on my clubhouse, um, little bio, I put, I tore up the box. I came in. <laughs> I love that. That is awesome. So is this a life philosophy that you've always had, or is this something you've cultivated? Um, I've had it my whole life. I've always kind of saw what normal people did and was like, you know, I don't want to be like, I'm not like other girls. I know that's a cliche now, but I have just lived my life pretty differently than the people I saw around me and always took that as a badge of pride where, you know, I would befriend the other oddball kids. And some of them had trouble accepting that they were different. I always embraced it. I was like, come on guys, this is great. We're different. Yeah. Yeah. So just what is that difference for you? What does that mean? How did you feel like you were different from other people? Um, so in middle school, for example, my favorite hobby in the world was entering sweepstakes. I would spend all day Saturday and Sunday decorating envelopes and mailing in postcards just for a chance to win an iPod or meet a celebrity, like all these things like that was literally, I would spend just my whole weekend doing that. And, you know, my friends were at the skate park or at the mall. And I'm like, nope, I'm, I'm doing my sweepstakes for punishment. Like I, I, had, I was always a really good kid, but there was one time I, I hid my grades uh, from my parents. I had a, a B on a test and I hid it and my parents found out and, and my punishment was I wasn't allowed to do sweepstakes for an entire month. And it was the worst thing in the world. And that's not normal. So that was, I think when I really realized, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an odd person. <laughs> that is definitely odd. So that my question on that is, did you ever win anything? I won so many things. And that was actually my first book was about how to win contests. So it, it became like, you know, I, I, it started because I entered this contest to win a manga drawing kit. I didn't know what manga was at the time, but I knew I wanted to win it. So <laughs> I won it. And then I was like, hmm, if I won this, how many other things could I win? So I would go to CVS and I would just purchase all of the magazines I could find and just enter all the contests I could find. And I was at my best winning about 10 contests a week. Uh, that was like my part-time middle school job. Just, you know, if I want something, I'd won like 12 iPods in one year. Like just, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. my gosh. That's so you won so often that you actually wrote a book about this. I did. That was my first book. I self-published it in high school. It was called a career in contests. Yeah. A career in contests. Yeah. I love it. You're like, I'm doing this forever. <laughs> Yeah. If it didn't pan out, that's not my career now, but in middle school it was. I love that so much that, okay, that is definitely oddball, but not only that, it's like, it also demonstrates like you totally believed in this thing. So you were calling it to you. Yep. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. So what do you do now? Tell us about your life and, and where this led you and why you're doing what you're doing now. Yeah. So now I own a marketing company. So we do SEO, PR ads and social media and, you know, doing that like marketing, it it does 
uh, the contest thing fit in a lot with it because to win those contests, I would have to market myself. So I would have to design postcards that people were going to pick out. Some of my contests were like video contests. So I'd have to film myself singing a jingle. So a lot of those creative things that I did there definitely relates to what I'm doing now. Um, so, you know, typically we work with three different types of businesses, uh, small businesses and startups, authors who are kind of small businesses in and of themselves, and then medical practitioners who are also kind of small businesses. So we work with a lot of chiropractors, things like that, mm -hmm. um, doing their marketing, getting new clients into them and nurturing the current clients that they have through creative, um, you know, uh, posts on social media. So you're a wordsmith. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what my doctorate's in. I have my master's in communication doctorate is in literature, but my team is full of people. You know, my first hire was a graphic designer because graphics are, are not, they don't come to me the way words do. Right. Um, so yeah, my, my team fills in those holes. Mm. So let's talk about the power of words and this, like wordsmiths and powers of the power of words are one of my favorite conversations to have with people. So why did you choose literature and what's the passion there for you? Well, I was originally in the biomedical sciences. I was going to become a medical doctor. And I realized one day I was rushing through my biomed work so I could work on writing my book. And so I could work on freelance writing. And I said, you know what? I think there's something here. I'm enjoying this a lot more than that. And that was how I really realized, okay, I need to get into this. But I always, you know, wrote my, had my first, um, article published I was 12 years old in Discovery Girl magazine and it was about my struggle with Lyme disease and this was before you know social media was really big so I had girls writing me letters in the mail who read my story saying this really inspired me I dealt with a similar disease or a similar illness and how much it touched me just hearing that people actually read my stuff mm. and you know it, it inspired me to keep writing and so all the years you know I've, I've continued to write and I love getting feedback like that it's the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. What do you, what do you find that's for you? That's the coolest thing in the world. So what is there? Why is that the coolest thing in the world for you? Uh, just being able to impact somebody else. Well, I also love reading. I like when you're reading, you can truly understand other people. Mm. Um, I, I believe it was mother Teresa there. Uh, maybe my angel, no, my, my Angelou. Um, there's a quote that I love and I don't know why I can't remember who specifically said it was one of the two of them. There's nobody that you wouldn't love once you learn their story. And mm. I firmly believe that through you know, reading books, I especially love nonfiction, even though doctorates in literature, I love nonfiction. My professors always hated that, but I like reading people's real stories um, because you get to know them. And it's so true. Once you understand, okay, so this person did this, but they did it because of that. You just get a better understanding of, of others. Yeah, I am completely the same way with that. I'm very, I'm naturally just a very curious person and I love talking to people. This is why I have a podcast because my husband is always like everywhere we go. He's like, do you have to collect people everywhere we go? And I'm like, I'm not collecting people. I'm just genuinely curious about their stories. <laughs> Aww, that's awesome. I love that. It's fun. And it's just like, it's an invitation into somebody else's world. Absolutely. Yeah, totally different point of view. Yeah, that's really cool. So how did you, I mean, it's to me, it seems like just in hearing the story, like you're like, you always like to write, you wrote a book for crying out loud in high school and that yet you decided to go biomed instead of, <laughs> instead of writing. So what was that? Was that like a parental influence or something you felt like you should do? Yeah, a little bit. So um, when I was a kid, my father had a heart attack. He was only 35 and he had a heart attack and he was a healthy wow. man. It wasn't like he was overwearing. It just was a fluke thing. And that really impacted me. I mean, he, he survived. He was okay. But 
between that, between my having Lyme disease and experiencing doctors who were both amazing and doctors who I was like, oh, I wish I could improve and do better than what they did. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make a difference. I've always wanted to make a difference and help people. And the most obvious way to me to help people was to become a medical doctor. But then when I realized, you know, you can help people through your words too. You can help them mentally through their learning. Then I realized, okay, let's, let's, we can, Sway this. Uh, my parents definitely did support me through everything because my parents are both entrepreneurs. So, um, you know, my my mother and father they um, they were great when I wanted to become a doctor. They were great when I wanted to become a writer. They were great when I wanted to become an entrepreneur. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Like they're your cheerleaders. Yep. 100%. Yeah, that's awesome. You're so fortunate to have that. Yeah. That's beautiful. So that explains why you like to work with doctors and chiropractors. Like you speak their language. <laughs> That's the really cool thing. Um, yeah, it, it, I spent four years of my life studying that stuff. I did graduate. So um, I do still have an interest in it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty neat being able to get a little bit, uh, you know, I didn't get a, a, my, I didn't go to medical store or anything, but still knowing, yeah, it's pretty neat. So let's talk about the power of words and dive into like that love of words that you have and what words are for you. Ooh, um, I would say my, you mean my favorite words? Like could be your favorite words or even like, what are they like? Why do you love words? What's your, what's your love of literature and your love of like, why are you doing this? You see, I thought you meant list your favorite words because I literally have a list of my most beloved words and my most despised words. So I was just going to start. Well, go for it. Actually, I'm curious. What are your favorite words? <laughs> I don't have the list on me. I know the first one is marvelous. I think that's such a, a beautiful, positive word. I think velociraptor is very fun to say, but um, <laughs> um, no, I, I love words um, because, you know, it just it's amazing to be able to connect with another person through them. I am an introvert by nature, but words have always been a way to, um, you know, connect with others, you know, through, through the written word. Um, it's, it's just a great way to connect with people. And, um, I think it's something that everybody needs to have nowadays because we're all online, you know, every Twitter, Facebook, you're reading, you're not necessarily seeing them unless you're watching a video. So, um, yeah, words are just a great way to connect with others. There, it's interesting, like choosing the right word, like marvelous, right? So it's like, I love that word too. And, but what I, what I always think is so magical about words is how the, they, they conjure up a perception in someone's mind about what that word looks like, what it means, what it feels like. So they're like, they're like these little containers of meaning, like choosing. I mean, I think it's awesome. You have a list of your favorite words. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> what is your most despised word? Oh, clasps. I hate this. Yeah, the S with the P with the S. It's terrible. That is hard to say. It's actually terrible. That is hard to say. Yeah. Edited is another one. It's not as bad as class, but edited. Just and that's a word I have to say all the time. Like I edited your book, and it just hurts my ears every time. That is so funny. I've never considered those words as annoying. Like the typical words people find annoying, like moist. Moist. Yep. Bucket. I don't like the word bucket. That word annoys me for some reason. I agree. Oh, and also rural. That word drives me crazy yeah. too. Oh, well, the, there was the 30 rock thing with the rural juror. <laughs> the rural juror. That's right. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's right. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. So you help people find the right words for their projects. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it comes down to thinking about their audience because you're going to write differently for different audiences. Um, and sometimes people are like, well, I don't know who my audience is. So we think about who their audience is and we figure that you definitely need to know that before you start creating your content. 
Um, otherwise it's just going to be aimless. And, and, you know, um, I've had clients also knowing their tone. So I've had clients who are like, we wear suit and ties. We're super professional. You know, you need to write like that. And I have others who are like, Hey, you know, we're friendly. Let's write friendly. Like we were like, as if we're talking to a friend. So there are so many little caveats that you need to think of when you're writing these things. Yeah, for sure. And especially with SEO. So you're an expert in SEO and you mentioned it, and that's something that changes all the time. And is very complicated. Can you give us some tips on maximizing SEO words for SEO? Yeah, the biggest thing with SEO is remembering not just to write for the robots, not just to write for the humans, but for everybody. Because if you write using keywords that you know the AIs, the Google AIs are going to recognize, you're going to get seen by the humans. And if you're not writing well for humans, because I know a lot of people they'll just like outsource to another country where they're not native English speakers and it doesn't come out well, hmm. um, nobody's going to read that. So, you know, you have to write in a way that's going to arrest people. And usually that's done through emotion. That's what keeps people reading. So positive emotions like joy, excitement, you know, hey, here's some great news for you. Here's, uh, you know, three tips that are going to boost your, you know, marketing to the next level. Or you could also do negative or, and it doesn't have to be super negative. Like, oh my gosh, the world is burning the way the news does. Right. It could be something like, you know, you could be missing out if you're not doing X, Y, and Z. That's a negative emotion. It's FOMO, but it's still making people feel so I'm like, oh, am I missing something? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an important thing for writing for humans. Um, and then for the AIs, you know, I always like using low hanging fruit keywords, meaning words that are competitive enough that they're going to rank, but not so competitive that you're being blown out of the water by your competition. Like I have a, a an insurance company that I work with. They're competing with like Geico. So if they were to use a word like car insurance, forget, they're not going to rank anywhere. But if they say car insurance in Boise, Idaho for farmers, boom, they're number one. So we try to look at those keywords where people actually were searching car insurance in Boise, Idaho for, you know, uh, maybe tractors or for farmers, whatever the thing is we found, you know, 5,000 people a month are searching for that. We're going to put that keyword on their website and, you know, Geico is not going to mess with a word like that. They don't, you know, they're looking for the big ones. So yeah. How interesting. So it's really about honing, like you said in the beginning, like knowing who your target market is, who's your audience. Yep. Who are you speaking to? Yeah. That's really cool. I love that. So tell me about, I'm just so curious about you and like your, your world and everything you have going on is so fascinating to me. Do you use your PhD in literature? Have you found that coming in handy for what you're doing? Well, I earned it in 2020 and I never got to walk or anything uh, until 2021, I got to actually graduate. So there, I was all set to do some conferences. I was supposed to go to Milan and Turkey and present my dissertation there. And then COVID happened. Mm. So I haven't used it much. Um, I am, you know, uh, I, I teach at the, the Women's Center for Entrepreneurship. Uh, I instruct some of their courses for women entrepreneurs. Um, I'm looking to do some more instruction like that. But you know, that's, that's pretty much it. And it's mainly all thanks to COVID. Uh, but hopefully with everything going back to normal, I'll be able to do the, the dissertation presentations, all that fun stuff I was supposed to do last year. So what is your dissertation on? Nihilistic libertarianism and popular culture. And I chose that topic because I realized that a lot of modern literature and some of my favorite modern literature, like No Country for Old Men, um, even Fight Club, uh, Clockwork Orange, they all have this really nihilistic kind of tone to them. And they're dark and gritty. I'm like, why? Why are, why are every, why is everybody so drawn to these protagonists that are so dark and just seemingly, um, you know, 
anarchists. So I wrote about that and, and why. <laughs> Fascinating. Oh my gosh. So can you sum up why you think that is? Yeah. Um, mainly because of our shift from community. People were very community minded, you know, going back a hundred years, 200 years ago, everything was about community. And yeah. in the Western world, at least I'm, I'm only referring to Western world here. Um, and then starting like the 1950s on, we've just been getting more and more independent minded where, you know, where people are, you know, finding their own interests. They're not, you're not visiting your neighbors every day. You know, it's, it's just, um, it's become much more individualistic. Of course, we still have online communities, things like that, but it's not like you're going to church every Sunday and those are your people and you're doing whatever they do. It's just, people are much more individualistic. And that's why we identify more with these anarchists who are out of the box and different kind of people. But my, and I ended it with, we don't have to just have anarchistic characters who are negative. Uh, we have characters like Kickass who uses that for positive. Yes, he's a, he's kind of an anarchist, but he uses it for good. He helps people. So we can uh, instead of looking at these negative nihilistic characters, we can also have positive ones. So. Love that, and that, I mean that goes back to the beginning of our whole conversation about being a person who's totally out of the box. Yeah. Right. And so that's kind of like that attraction toward individualistic our individualistic nature. But I feel like, and I'm curious if you agree with it, that um, the more you authentically stand in your, in not even individuality so much as your authenticity. And I think that authenticity is really like what individuality is really about. But when you're really in that space, that it invites other people to also do it. Absolutely. That's a great point. I, I think previously people just didn't feel that they could express themselves. I was at my mother's house this morning. She had Leave it to Beaver on. And it was just, it's a different world. It's, it's amazing how much things have changed in such a short amount of time and how we do allow people to be themselves. And it wasn't like that then. No. Oh my gosh. If I had to wear high heels and a beautiful dress while cooking dinner every day, I'd be like, shoot me now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And that's a super interesting point. Like it's, I mean, like the community aspect is like, do you feel like that's a positive shift or a negative shift or a neutral shift? Or what's your perspective on that? I love individuality. Um, I, I was convinced it was 100% positive, And I still think it's it's mostly positive. I did just finish reading. Um, oh, gosh. No, oh, Sapiens. I just finished reading Sapiens. And he says some stuff that makes you think it's not necessarily 100% a positive shift. But uh, I still want to believe it's a positive shift. Yeah, I think it's a positive shift that's kind of like, almost like a, you know, two roads that have gone this way that are now coming back together where it's like, okay, now we can embrace our individual individuality together. <laughs> yes. yes, that is a great point. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that just invites, I think a more, you know, a truer sense of community where you're not you know, Betty left the kitchen and now all let's talk about her. Right. It's like, it's, it's totally like authentic community. We're like, now Betty leaves the kitchen and we're like, wow, she's really cool. I love that. She's got this and this going on. Yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's such an interesting point of view to consider and think about. And I love that. I love your, I love your brain. It's awesome how you're thinking about that and, and bringing this into the world. It's really cool. Thank you. It's exciting to talk about it with, with somebody who is also excited about it. Yeah. What kind of um, classes do you teach for women entrepreneurs? SEO, um, uh, blog writing. Um, I also have a class that teaches about how to be an entrepreneur online, like how to start an online business. 
Awesome. So where can people find you or do you do these classes online for women or are they in person? Um, so that's with the Women's Center for Entrepreneurship. Uh, it's a, a, a part of the Small Business Association. Um, but I also have courses on my website um, and I do one-on-one like coaching, consulting with clients who, who are interested in that. Um, yeah. Yeah. You just strike me as being very, um, very no nonsense. And you just kind of, like, you're totally just out there doing your own thing. And I love it. <laughs> Very focused. That's the right word. Yep. Yeah. You strike me as just like point A to point B and I'm, you're just driven and that's awesome. And that's, I mean, as a woman entrepreneur, you really need to be. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. Yeah. With that balance of create with creativity, which you obviously have. Yeah. Neat combination. Well, how can people find you and how can they work with you? Uh, so I'm online everywhere at Marissa Schwartz. So that's Marissa with an O and Dr. Rissy. So if you type in either of those names, you'll find me, but I also have drrissy.com. Um, so you can find me any of those places. And that's where your courses will be. Yes. On drrissy.com. Yep. All right. Well, I'm so glad that you reached out to me and that we have this chance to get to know each other and converse. You're just really fascinating. And I can't wait to actually take a look at what you're doing and, um, I like that. I like the combination of the smart and creative, the left and the right brain, because I think they both go together perfectly. They really do. <laughs> yeah. You need both. Right. And it's like this whole being whole brained is, yeah, the way you're supposed to be in the world. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. You've been listening to The Powerful Creator Show with Cheryl Sosnowski. Subscribe at iTunes or go to PowerfulCreatorShow.com and join our email list so you never miss a future episode. Have a powerfully creative day.